0: Welcome to BreezeLine, where you'll say ta-ta, T-Mobile, because we have 99.9% network reliability, and they don't. That's right. Time, weather, or even streaming in a basement won't affect our superior service. That's because we have real internet, backed by our fiber-powered network. And T-Mobile? Well, they just have a 5G cellular network. So for a limited time, find your perfect speed, with prices starting at $19.99 a month for 24 months. Terms and conditions apply. Go to BreezeLine.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Great Unsolved Podcast. I'm your host, Alexis, and this week we're talking about the Yuba County Five disappearance and deaths. Before we get into it, make sure to follow at Great Unsolved on Twitter, at Great Pod on Instagram, join our Facebook group, and like our Facebook page, both of which can be done by searching Great Unsolved on Facebook. We also have a Patreon, where there are tons of Patreon-only episodes, a monthly bonus episode that actually came out last week, and you get early ad-free access to all the public episodes. Please be sure to rate Great Unsolved 5 stars on Apple Podcasts, because that gets us more recognition and it helps us show up more on searches. So let's get into the case of the Yuba County Five. On February 24th of 1978, Five mentally disabled men planned to drive about 50 miles away to see a basketball game, but they never ended up returning home. Jack Madruga, his nickname was Doc, was five foot eleven, 190 pounds, and 30 years old. He lived at home due to having no job at the time, but he was pretty independent, and it's said that he lived alone at different points throughout his adult life. Jack was never clinically diagnosed with a disability, but his mother stated that he had some difficulties and he was a little slower than others his age when growing up. He was a Vietnam War vet and bought his prized possession, his Blue Mercury Montego from 1969, right after getting out of the war. His closest friend in the group was Bill Sterling a 5'10", 170-pound, 29-year-old. Bill was diagnosed with a learning mental disability. He visited hospital patients and nursing homes to visit with them and talk about religion because he was very religious and it was very important in his life. The third guy, Ted Weir, was 5'11", 200 pounds, and 32 years old relatives stated he lacked common sense. There is a story out there about how his house was on fire and he was in bed and his family was trying to get him out of the house, but he didn't want to get up because he was trying to sleep. And it's just that kind of thing that he kind of lacked. He had a really good sense of humor though, and he worked at Gateway for Pacific Gas and Electric Company. Ted was very close friends with Jackie Hewitt, who was 5'9", 160 pounds, and 24 years old. He was said to be the most disabled of the five. With an IQ of 40, he couldn't read or write, and he couldn't stand up straight. But he was a very loving individual, and he loved his friends and family a lot, and his beagle, Beau. Before we get into the fifth guy, I would like to mention that all of these individuals lived with their parents, as that comes into play later in the case when they disappear. So the fifth man in the friend group was Gary Mathias. He was 5'10 and 25 years old. He lived on the same street as Ted Weir, and he was said to be the last one to join the friend group about a year before all five men disappeared. He was an Army veteran discharged due to some drug problems, drug addiction, and some psychiatric issues. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia and needed to take meds daily, but often forgot. In January of 1973, he was arrested on AWOL charges from, you know, leaving the Army when he wasn't supposed to. In February of 1973, he was arrested for the attempted rape of a 17-year-old, but this charge was later dropped. When he was in jail for this charge, a sergeant was moving him to a different cell just days after he was arrested, and Gary punched him in the face. Because of this, he was charged with battery of a police officer, and these were all said to be times when he was off his medication It seems if he was on his medication, he was a stand-up citizen and a good friend and family member, but when he was off the medication, he ended up getting into trouble. It's stated that at the very start of his psychiatric treatment, he would go off his meds and kind of go crazy, which obviously he got arrested a few times and it said he would disappear once in a while, but not for very long. But in 1976, he got a successful medication routine, and the doctor and Gary's stepfather swear he took his meds every day for two years leading up to the disappearance. So now that we have a good overview of all five men that are victims in this case, supposedly victims in this case, we'll go more into that later, let's look at the actual disappearance. So February 23rd, 1978, four men, not Gary, which it's kind of unknown why Gary didn't go with them, but they went to Sacramento to practice for their Saturday basketball game. They ended up getting home at 10.30 p.m. Because of this, Bill Sterling's mom tried to talk all of them out of going to the UC Davis game the next day, since she didn't want them to be tired for their Saturday basketball game. All five of these men played on a community basketball team for the mentally disabled and they really loved doing it and they were going to be in a big tournament game this weekend so they didn't want to be tired either but they were too excited for the UC Davis game and it would be the last time that this team would be in the area so they decided to still go. The next day on February 24th, Bill's parents were the last to see the five men before they left that night to go to the game about 50 miles away. This is because they stopped at the store that Bill's parents owned so that he could get his allowance. It's known that the men went to the game and it ended at around 10 p.m. ish, And they ended up stopping by Bears Market, which was three blocks away from the stadium they were in. They bought snacks, and the person working there said all men seemed happy at this point. Just about four hours later, after the game ended and the men were last seen, Bill's mom woke up at 2 a.m. and saw he wasn't home yet, which obviously made her worry they were supposed to be home quite a while before. She ended up calling Jack's mom and found out that he never made it home either, Ted's grandmother called Bill's mom at around 5 a.m. and confirmed that Ted didn't get home either. After confirming this, the grandmother walked to Gary's home and found that he was gone as well. So all five families are talking to each other and connecting the dots at this point that none of the five men made at home, and this is obviously making them very worried. The five men missed their game that morning at around 8 a.m., and Jack's mom called the police and reported all the men missing at around 8 p.m. They thought if the men got held up or something, they would definitely show up to their game because they were so excited about it, but they didn't, and that is when things really set in for the families. On February 28th, Forest Ranger Willard Burris stated he found Jack's car 100 yards off of a graded road about two and a half hours away from Chico, where they had been for the game. This road was impassable in the winter due to snow, but at the time the men were thought to have abandoned the car, there was not a lot of snow on the ground. The car was right at the snow line and it was stuck and locked, but the rangers said it would have been very easy to push out from being stuck, especially if you had multiple men. And while these men were mentally disabled, they weren't dumb. They knew how to get a car unstuck, I'm sure. So it didn't make sense that they didn't just push the car out from where it was. It was also noted that one window was partially rolled down, the engine was fine, and the car still had some gas. One notable thing for the forest ranger was that the undercarriage of the car was unharmed. The deputy stated that this was impossible unless you knew the road, which Jack did not. And we say Jack because it was his car and he was very protective of it, so it's highly unlikely he willingly let anyone else drive. This was a bumpy gravel mountain road, so the undercarriage of the car, even if you knew the road, would likely be messed up. So whoever drove this car, police thought, had to know the road really well and be driving fairly slow. This car was about 35 miles off the route they would have had to take from Chico back to Yuba, and it was all on mountain roads. The last six miles that the car drove was on unpaved service roads. This is not somewhere the men would have gone. They didn't know the area. They didn't know how to navigate the area, so there is no reason they would have been out there. Even if they took a wrong turn... Once the roads became unpaved, the families were certain the men would have turned around, knowing this was not the way they were supposed to go. Within the car, there were maps of California, where they were, candy wrappers, milk cartons, and a marked up Davis game program, as well as other Davis game programs. This is kind of how we know they did, in fact, go to the game authorities immediately began searching the area. On March 1st, just a day later, searches with snowmobiles began. Helicopters and four-wheelers also joined the search to make navigating this wilderness easier. There were about 40 men involved in the search. The search ended at 12 p.m. when nothing was found in or around the car to suggest The boys had gone anywhere nearby, and there was no sign of foul play. There was also still no idea why the men would be out there. The family was very insistent about this, that the men would not be out there. The temps went below freezing that night. All the nights they had been missing, police say the temps had been below freezing, On March 2nd, the search continued with 50 men, and now dogs were involved and horses were involved. It stated that the weather conditions had made it super difficult to find any trace of the men, or the men themselves, obviously, and there was no indication that the men had been in the car when it was abandoned. Now, this kind of sounds spooky, if the men weren't in the car, who had the car, but I mean, there's not really any indication once you leave a car that you were in the car, even if it was your car. So I don't find this that weird because they can't verify they were in there, but they can't verify they were not in there. This is the day that Joseph Scans S-C-H-O-N-S, 55, became a witness. He states he was out on the road the same night the boys disappeared. He actually had a cabin up there in the mountains and he was kind of scoping it out to see if he would be able to bring his wife and daughter to the cabin that weekend. He was probably just making sure there was not too much snow, that they could drive it, that they could get there and get back home safely. His car also got stuck, even though it's reported there was not a ton of snow, but apparently this area got a lot of snow. So saying there's not a ton of snow could mean there was six inches to ten inches of snow, which really is quite a bit of snow, especially for a car trying to drive through it. Anyways, his car got stuck and he ended up suffering a mild heart attack. So he got back in his car to rest instead of continually trying to push it out. Now, Joseph is going to have multiple different stories throughout this case, but the one he reported right away was this. Around midnight, he heard some whistles, so he went towards them to see if someone was there that could help him. He states he might have seen a pickup truck when he walked to this other car around midnight. So he saw this other car with, he says, five to six men outside And he asked for help, but they stayed away from him, they backed away from him, and they obviously did not help him. So he went back to the car. He was pretty pissed that none of these men wanted to help him, even though he probably told him he was suffering from a heart attack or something. Maybe he didn't know it was a heart attack, but he was not feeling well at all. So he went back to his car and his car ran out of gas at around 4 a.m. Now we don't know the exact time that his car got stuck or that he suffered the heart attack, but it's safe to say it was a long time that his gas lasted, but it finally fell, finally just ran out at 4 a.m., It's not precise what time this happened, but at some point a flashlight was shown in his window, but eventually when he called out to whoever was behind this flashlight, they shut off the flashlight. Later that morning, he walked towards the other car and saw no one around. It said he opened and closed the car door, but when police got there, they said the car was locked, so I'm not quite sure how that fits in. After this, he walked five miles to the Mountain House Lodge, which they had to pass on that road going up to where the cars were stuck, and he ended up getting help there. On March 3rd, police announced that they would search that weekend, but once they were satisfied that they had done enough, it would be called off. There was two fresh feet of snow in the area, which obviously made tracking anything with or without dogs super difficult at this point. On this same day, the men's families state that they don't believe the men were in the car when the car was abandoned. There's not much to back this up. They just don't believe the men were in that car. A $1,200 reward is also posted this day, and 100 missing persons posters were put around Chico, which was where the men were last seen. Joseph also had a news story that debuted in an article on March 3rd, stating he had a heart attack around 6 p.m. Around midnight, he went towards two sets of headlights, going back to his idea that there was a car and a pickup pickup truck, He says he yelled for help, but the people turned off the lights and went quiet. Like they thought he wouldn't approach them anymore or he would think he was imagining things. His wife also stated that Joseph said he thought he saw a woman with a baby and about a dozen other people around the pickup truck and the Montego. But I don't know if Joseph ever comes out and actually says that himself. However, that's a big point of confusion for a lot of people in this case, because they're like, well, why was there a baby and a woman? Did he really see that? If so, who was there? But I don't know if he ever said it himself, so we're not really going to dive into that idea. The next day on March 4th, the search was called off due to heavy snow. It's March, still winter, still snowing like crazy, so this makes sense. There was a sighting from a store owner in Brownsville and she comes out and says that men matching Jackie and Gary's descriptions came in, bought burritos and snack food and then ate them outside of their store on both Saturday and Sunday. A woman who was at the same store reports seeing men matching Bill and Ted's description in a late 1950s red Chevy pickup while well, men matching Jack and Jackie's descriptions were using a telephone booth and both seemed healthy and fine. It's also stated that the men matching Jackie and Gary's description seemed healthy and fine as well. Police searched around this area and took the sighting seriously, but eventually did not think these were real sightings. They thought these women had mistaken other people for looking like these five men because these sightings could not have lined up with other timelines of that night. It is worth mentioning that these other timelines of that night have not been proven either, so police were kind of just going with their best guess. On March 7th, it was no longer snowing, so more searches on horse and four-wheelers started all structures in the immediate area were checked and nothing of the men with one of the best savings rates in america banking with capital one is the easiest decision in the history of decisions even easier than choosing slash to be in your band next up for lead guitar you're in Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Was found. Police also state that there was no evidence of foul play at this point in the case. On March 8th, police went to a cabin just west of Forbstown due to a red pickup being parked outside, and this has to do with the sighting of the men with a red Chevy pickup, but this lead went nowhere. It was probably just someone with a red pickup truck who had nothing to do with the case whatsoever. March 9th was the last real day of searching until the weather cleared, and Forest Ranger's would continue to keep an eye out after this last big search but there wouldn't be a ton of big searches until the weather was better. By this point the parents of the men were 50-50 split on if the five men were dead or alive. This is 13 days about after they went missing so the 50-50 split does not surprise me. Eleven days later, on March 20th, about five miles from where Jack Madruga's car was found, four pieces of goldish-orange cloth was found tied to a tree, and there were footprints nearby. Pieces of this cloth, the same-looking orange-goldish cloth, were found periodically from where the car was to this area where the footprints were found. Bill Sterling's parents thought that the cloth may have come from his jacket lining, but they weren't 100% sure, so that kind of went nowhere as well. On May 13th, locals, or a local, states that his dog picked up a scent of human remains about five and a half miles south of the area where the car was found. 25 deputies searched for about 12 hours that day, sticking poles deep in snow to look for bodies that might have been buried by the recent snowstorms. Police ended up finding nothing, but they did state that the men at this point were most likely deceased. On June 4th, quite a while later, A few people on motorcycles stopped outside of a service trailer near the Zinc campground. They noticed a broken window in the service trailer, so they went to look inside, and what they found was disturbing. They noticed a body covered in sheets, and it was obviously a dead body, so they notified authorities immediately. This is when Ted Weir was found. Initial reports stated he died of exposure, and this trailer was about five miles from the car, if you're doing a straight line, or 12 miles from the car by road. So it had not been searched in all the previous searches because they figured this was way too far for the men to have gone with no sign of the men walking through the woods or walking on the roads. Later, during his autopsy, it was found he died of pulmonary congestion due to exposure. This is similar to pneumonia, and there was no evidence of foul play here. He was thought to have survived for about a month for sure, and up to 13 weeks, which is a little over three months, which is really astounding when... You think about how long they've been gone and how extensive the searches were. Ted was found fully clothed. He had suffered gangrene from frostbite and lost five toes. He also had lost about 80 pounds, which is how they estimated how long he had been alive. There were eight sheets over him, and originally they thought maybe he was trying to keep warm, But because of the frostbite on his feet, it is noted he would not have been able to wrap it around his own feet because of the intense pain. Also, these sheets were tucked around his body. So if his arms are inside the sheets, you can't tuck yourself in. There was a partially melted candle next to him. But it is worth it to note that there was firewood and paperback books, and a heater with fuel or in the trailer, but none of it was used. The broken window was right by the bed that Ted was in, and it had not been covered, so that was super odd within itself. There were open ration cans around the room, but there was a whole other cabinet of ration cans that had not been touched. It was noted that most of these cans had been opened with a beverage can opener, but some with a military can opener, which only Gary or Jack, both of the military veterans, would have had and would know how to use. Apparently these can openers are super confusing. I didn't really look into them, but most places say only someone in the army would know how to use them. His wallet with money inside was on the table, along with his gold necklace, and a nickel ring. A gold watch was also found, but it did not belong to any of the five men. Gary's shoes were found inside, and Ted's shoes were gone. Police found it really odd that there was no effort to heat the area, put on warmer clothes, or eat what they needed to survive, even though all of these things were available within that trailer. And the weather was said to have been able to kill them within three hours of being outside. So police were super skeptical that the men walked from where the car was found to this trailer. It stated the last time someone went to this trailer before the discovery of Ted was on February 23rd, the day before the men went missing, because a snowcat went there to clear snow off the roof, so it didn't collapse in on itself. Since the discovery of Ted, searches started back up on June 6th. The local man with the dog that alerted to human decomposition before joined the search as well. He was driving down a service road when one of his dogs alerted to a field nearby that had been completely snow-covered up until now. And this was when Jack Madruga was found. He was really badly decomposed from being outside for so long, but an autopsy was scheduled, and hypothermia was thought to be the cause of death, although they couldn't know for sure because of the decomposition. He was found near the road, holding his wallet in one hand, with his keys in his pocket, and the other arm that wasn't holding his wallet was bitten off. His body was found about three miles away from the trailer. There were blankets, a flashlight, and a lighter from the trailer that were found going from the trailer to the body, so it seems they did take stuff with them, but he abandoned it at some point. At this point, Bill Sterling was also found. His body was partially eaten, but the autopsy was scheduled, and once again, hypothermia was thought to be his cause of death, although they could not know for sure, as his body had been partially eaten by animals. He was about 15 feet from the other side of the road opposite to Jack, and his body was scattered by animals, but his wallet was found with his body. There was still nothing at this point to point towards the men walking from the car to the trailer. On June 8th, the fourth body is found. It was unidentified for a while, I'm assuming because of decomposition, as it was found outside, but searchers kept looking for the fifth body, because remember there was five of them, so far four bodies had been found. It was later found that this fourth body was the body of Jackie Hewitt. Once again, hypothermia was thought to be the cause of death, but I'm assuming they couldn't identify him because of how bad decomposition was, so they couldn't really figure out the exact cause of death. He was found two miles away from the trailer under a manzanita bush. Don't know how to pronounce that but he was found two miles away from the trailer under a bush. There was still no idea why the men would have been there or gone this way at all, or even tried to walk in the weather. They could have stayed in the car and waited for help, especially if they saw Joseph, who stated he saw other men there. Several of these men were afraid of dark, and Bill was stated to hate cold and the outdoors, so them willingly walking didn't make a huge amount of sense to the family or authorities. After not finding a fifth body, state institutions were giving Gary's description because he was obviously still yet to be found. Over the next few months, the families of the men kept stating that these men would never go up there, they firmly believed that someone brought them up there, and they believed that foul play was involved in the deaths of these men. It's stated that Ted's brother actually believed Gary was involved in the other four men's deaths. To this day, Gary Mathias has never been found. Only his shoes were found in the trailer And it's assumed he took Ted's shoes, but it's kind of unknown why, which, I mean, it's not a huge mystery. Maybe the shoes were warmer, in better shape, to walk through the woods. I don't know. But the only thing that's ever been found of him was his shoes. So that brings us to theories. When looking up this case, it seems like there's a lot more information than there is, and I kind of think that's just because it is so strange to have five people disappear at once that a lot of places emphasize this disappearance. But there's really, there's not any more information than any other case. So word of theories already. Let's go over the police theory. It's unfinished and there's two scenarios that they kind of talk about. They think that Bill and Jack died first and didn't make it to the trailer. Now, everywhere I looked, you couldn't really tell if they were three miles away from the trailer in the direction of the car or in the direction away from the car. From police, from their theory, it seems like they were in the direction of the car. So they believe they died first and didn't make it to the trailer. Then the men went to the trailer at least Gary, Jackie, and Ted. These three were in the trailer for a while based on the food eaten, even though they could have stayed there a little longer, stayed in a shelter, there was enough food, there was heaters, so that's a very confusing aspect as well. But after that, the police believe two things could have happened. Either Gary went to get help, Ted died, and Jackie left to get away from his dead friend's body, and that is when Jackie died. Or Ted died, and Gary and Jackie left to go get help. Or Ted was sick, and he wasn't dead yet, and Gary and Jackie left to go get help. There's a few problems with this. Number one, where's Gary then? He could have been killed by animals or died, and animals scattered his remains. Or he got safe and changed his identity. Still, we do not know where Gary is to this day. Another problem is why were they up there in the first place? If they actually drove the car up there and then got out and walked to the trailer or towards the trailer for Bill and Jack, nobody knows why they were there. The other problem with the police's theory is police still don't think they walked to where they were found, or walked to the trailer. So there had to be somebody else involved then. Another theory that some people have is that Gary snapped. Now this is alleged, there's really no evidence of this, but we're going to go over it anyway. There would still be an unknown reason for going up there in the car, but after a day of not taking his meds, Gary could have gotten violent We saw in the past he had police records and it stated this happened when he went off his meds. So there's two ways this could go. One, Ted died naturally, which doesn't really work with the timeline, or he was left at the trailer before Gary snapped. Like they went to the trailer, Ted stayed there because he was sick, the other men left. Then Gary killed the other three when walking for help. Now we know Ted was, he died of pretty much natural causes, but the other ones were too decomposed or scattered to 100% know the cause of death, so foul play could have been involved and could have been overlooked. In my theory, because we don't really know if the bodies were found on the way to the trailer from the car or away from the trailer, away from the car. I think that Gary would have killed Jackie first and then the other two after maybe chasing them for a bit after they saw him kill Jackie. But obviously, there's some problems with this theory as well. Number one, why was there no foul play found in Ted's death? Why would Gary just kind of let him naturally die? Why were they up there in the first place? Police still don't think they walked to where they were found. So how would they get there if Gary was the culprit in this case? And where's Gary? If he was disappearing, why would he not take the other men's wallets or at least their money and valuable things unless he was really kind of not thinking straight at this time? Another strong theory in this case is that an unknown person hurt these men, and there's two scenarios with this one as well. Number one, someone forced them in a car and drove them up there, and this person knew the road, which is why the undercarriage was fine, which is what police originally speculated that whoever drove this car up here knew the road, and it was not Jack. So the person made them get out of the car and walk far enough away to where they would not find their way back. And this would make sense with the more natural causes of death. Then these men found the trailer, you know, died of exposure. So Gary's body, not found. The other scenario is that the unknown person killed all of them. They might have had someone pick up all six of them, the five men including the perpetrator, and drive to places where the bodies were found and killed them. However, there was no sign of another person and absolutely no sign of foul play on Ted specifically. We can't really be sure about the other men. So the last few episodes we've done, I have not had a theory on the cases, but this one I do have a theory with. What my theory is does not explain everything in the case, but it seems the most plausible. I think the men made a wrong turn They ended up getting out to find a house, to use a phone or for help, and they got lost while they were walking, but they kept going because they could not find their way back to the car. I think once they got to the trailer, Ted was already sick, so the other four went to get help after resting for a while and eating some food and tucking Ted in to try and keep him warm enough so that they could get help and come back. But Jackie died, and then Jack and Bill died. Gary kept going, but eventually died as well, and was eaten or scattered by animals, and that is why his body hasn't been found. That's just the most plausible thing for this case. But there are a ton of theories, and nothing really points towards one or the other, and police haven't really stated the theory they Most likely believe. Thank you for going over the case of the Yuba County Five with me. Before we end this episode, make sure to follow us at Great Unsolved on Twitter, at Great Unsolved Pod on Instagram, join our Facebook group, and like our Facebook page, both of which can be done by searching Great Unsolved on Facebook. We also have a Patreon, where there are tons of Patreon-only episodes, a monthly bonus episode, and you get early ad-free access to the public episodes. Also, please be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts as it gets us seen more. And I've spent four years of this podcast not asking for reviews because, I don't know, it didn't occur to me that it mattered so much, but it does. So if you have the time please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Stay safe and have a great rest of your week.